When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. We're going to look back at the Week 16 game, but of course we're also going to have to look at the Week 17 game. A reminder, in case somehow you forgot about this, over the weekend the Ravens were victorious 22, uh, nope, let me do it Ken's way, 10 to 22. No, that's not Ken's way. (laughs) All right, so you are 22-10 Ravens over the Chargers of LA, Los Angeles. No longer San Diego. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I need to put a sign up here in my studio that just says uh, Ken and uh, loser. Winning score first. Winner, or winner <laughs> first. Yeah. Yes. Just to remind me every time because I question myself every time and every time I get it wrong. There you go. So, all right. But uh, we're going to look back at this uh, game and let's start. I know we got to get to the the Browns. Uh, I see some Steeler members already tweeting. I saw Antonio Brown today tweeting uh is everyone ready for the big game on sunday and instead of posting he posted pictures of his jersey but he added an s to the end of his name so clearly up in pittsburgh they're looking to this game they're looking to the browns to help them out yeah that's uh that's what they have to do when you when you have to win and get help uh you know the ravens won't get any help from the from the browns they're certainly not going to get any help from the from the bengals this week, the Bengals have packed this season up, but uh, it, right. it would be really nice. It would be sweet as anything if the Bengals would take care of business too. Uh, yeah, you know, some tells me I, I don't want the Steelers drafting any higher than they otherwise would, but uh, that's really a secondary concern. I just love the Steelers' uh, hopes to be dashed entirely. Right, right. Um, but let's look. Let's we'll get to that in a minute. Let's first look back at the Chargers' victory. We talked on the last episode about how defensively this team is firing on all cylinders, and that was a huge defensive win on Saturday. But we can't uh, look away from what the offense is doing with Lamar Jackson. But this wasn't really a Lamar Jackson formula. We spoke a little bit about it on the last episode, but didn't really dig into the fact that uh, they were forcing Lamar to pass the ball. Yeah, so not only did Lamar, Lamar pass the ball more, and he had 204 yards passing his first game over 200 uh, of the season. And that was a, a slight change of formula. But the bigger change of formula was they had a 39-21 to 21 snap count advantage at the end of the first half. 
it looked like another formula win where they would be plus 20 or plus 25 in terms of snaps for the game. They would be able to, to bully the Chargers a little bit in the second half the way they did in the first with running the ball. But the game got reversed on them a little bit. They got out snapped 36 to 21 in the second half. And the Ravens did not have the normal formula. And in fact, they had to lean on their great defense to get a stop from 39 yards out with Rivers given a four-down opportunity to go ahead in the game. Yeah, and um, it is. That's that's true. Where every other victory up to this point, we've been praising that time of possession, that snap count. And uh, San Diego played the same game with, with us in that second half. Yeah, so they, they, they did. I mean, they were passing the ball and running the ball still both, but and they, they had their own offensive sputters during that second half. They didn't they didn't do much of anything offensively uh, after the TD on the 17-yard field. They didn't they didn't score at all, of course, but they uh, they sputtered mostly with penalties in the second half, including three of their seven drops drives getting getting stalled by run game penalties. So. Uh, you know, they, they had, and, and obviously two by turnovers uh, as well, this one overlapping drive in there. But anyway, that's it. it we've talked about the defense already. We ought to stick the offense here and, and, uh, All right, well, let's, and let's, let's yeah, let's look at the offense a little bit because one thing that was good with the offense that we've questioned throughout this whole process is what happens to a Lamar Jackson offense when they fall behind. So we got to see a little of that. Yeah, so the the come from behind play, and literally it was one play. It was uh, maybe it was two. The first pass of that drive, I think, might have gone for 13 yards to Brown, and then a 68 yard play. So it was boom, boom, and and they were in the end zone in two plays. It's nice to see that. You want to see a, a you know a quick strike ability from the offense. Andrews uh, made a presented a good large target for Lamar. Lamar made a good up and down throw. There was a defender behind and a defender in front, even though they were slightly to the trailing in both cases, but that throw went up and down well, which was, which was really good. And then Andrews, of course, with the marvelous stiff arm uh, to, to make, to beat the safety. So uh, good play, you know, nothing, nothing not to like about it. It's just the fact that they, they really couldn't do anything offensively after that is a little concerning. Right. Um, one more thing, I guess, before we look ahead is Lamar Jackson, and you tweeted out tonight about this uh, outside the outside the pocket play at that ESPN. Um, what is this? The ESPN NFL Twitter NFL matchup. So it's that's NFL the matchup. Greg Cosell show. It's an excellent show, by the way. It's just on at a really weird hour, but that's what DVRs are made for. Tape right. it. It's, it's really worth looking at. All right, I'll check that out because I haven't seen that one. But uh, they tweeted out looking at the young quarterbacks outside the pocket, and they've got Lamar Jackson outside the pocket as the lowest-rated young quarterback, uh, or second to lowest. See, they got Josh Allen rated even lower, but he, that's because right. he probably never leaves the pocket. So yeah. <laughs> we we think of Lamar Jackson as a guy who that's where he makes his big play. But why is this QB rating so low? Well. You know, it's it's obviously got to be not that many total throws outside the pocket for Jackson. And I thought he had made some plays outside the pocket. I can remember him throwing some balls back across the field, particularly in some of the earlier starts. Because this but is he's obviously this is strictly this is strictly passing. This is passer rating, right? So what it's basically saying is the, the combination, the four passer rating components, which are uh, uh, completion percentage, yards per uh, uh, tent, um, the touchdown percentage and the uh, interception percentage. Um, my guess is the touchdowns and interceptions are driving a lot of that, that neither of those is particularly good in what he's had. Right. Um, and then his other, his other factors are never all really that good. His completion percentage or his um, uh, yards per throw are never particularly good. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhere where he needs to grow as a quarterback. It's a place where a quarterback like Mahomes already excels. Uh, so it's it's you know it'd be nice to see him better there. Mahomes outside the pocket, 104 QB rating. Jameis Winston in, uh, leads the list at 133.2, which is interesting. Right now, of course, uh, when when you watch Lamar Jackson play, we all know he is making big plays outside the pocket, but it's with his feet. That's right. So normally he he'll run outside the pocket and then he'll take off. And he has had some interceptions and they've been some forced balls. Wouldn't surprise me if they were outside the pocket when those occurred. So, right. I, I, you know, I, I'm sure I could reconstruct it because I'm sure they didn't make it up in terms of what the rating is here. It's just it, it was a little surprising to me when I saw that he was the second worst in the entire NFL. 
or among young quarterbacks anyway in the entire NFL. I doubt any older quarterbacks are any worse than 44.7. Right. And again, it's it's passer. It's only rated right. on passer, which in Baltimore, even if you're uh, – even that we all we all now kind of are believe in Lamar Jackson the winner we believe that he is leading this team we we're but we've all had questions about his passing ability so it's not too surprising that when it's just looking at passing and not taking anything else into account that's right that's right it's uh it's it's you know his passing statistics are are his weakness right um all right let's look we're going to get into the offensive line like we always do we're going to look at some players but real quick the big thing is this weekend's play. We've got the Browns, but there's some other games going on. Browns game got shifted to 425 because they're trying to get that magical, all these big games being settled at the same time formula that baseball figured out a, a few years ago. Um, is there anything at 1 o'clock that we even need to watch? Yeah, well, there's some 1 o'clock games for seeding that are important. So the, the two games are the Houston game and the uh, New England game. So even if you're going to the game with a 4:25 start, if you leave the house at 3:30, you got two and a half hours of good football to watch that's meaningful for the Ravens' playoff spot, and you can get excited about. If the, if one of those games ends up being a loss for either New England or Houston, the Ravens can move up and get the three seed. If two of them end up being a loss, the Ravens could still get a bye if they win the 4:25 game. Right. So if New England loses and Houston loses. That's what has to happen. And there's a third condition is that the, the Tennessee-Indianapolis game can't end in a tie, but it right. will. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a few of these. Yeah. When I look at the uh, the what the NFL put out as the Ravens scenarios, there's a few of those that have the little caveat, Indy-Tennessee does not land in a tie. That's right. Uh, so, and I, I think there's even one where, like, if, if Baltimore wins uh, and Pittsburgh wins, but both Baltimore and Pittsburgh games end in a tie, we still win or something like that. Or it's very confusing where they throw the ties in there. So I'm just going to assume ties are not anything yeah. we have to worry about. There is a backdoor wild card scenario involving two ties where the Ravens can get in as a wild card. It's it's got effectively a zero percent chance to occur, but it it it, it exists in theory. <laughs> gotcha. I guess that would be if the uh, yeah okay so that would be Titans, if this... Titans and Colts have to tie and the Ravens have to tie their game and then the Steelers have to win to take the division and then the uh, if that were if those were all to occur, then the Ravens would be in a three-way tie with Indianapolis and Tennessee, which would boil down to a Ravens versus Indianapolis or a Ravens versus uh, Tennessee, and they have the tiebreaker on either of those teams. So that okay, would be... and then the divisional backdoor is of course Pittsburgh, and that's also a four twenty-five game with Pittsburgh that's and right. the Bengals. And like you said earlier, the way the Bengals have been playing, uh, we're just going to go into that assuming the Steelers will win that game. Yeah, don't, don't even bother. Well, I, I mean, I, this is a game where I'd almost encourage them not to even have that score on the stadium, at least not until later on in the game, maybe. if it's. But it's it's the kind of thing I, I don't – Ravens can expect no help from that game. Nothing good is going to come out of that game for the, for the Ravens. And the, the truth is, as we've been watching this playoff push the past few weeks, very little stuff has gone the Ravens' way to help the Ravens. That's right. They've had to, They've really had to do it on their own. The only thing that that really did go right for them was the Pittsburgh loss at Oakland. Week, yes. Yeah. Pittsburgh's had a number of stumbles along the way where they've recovered from it. I mean, they were they were down what I forget it was sixteen to nothing, nineteen to nothing, whatever it was at Jacksonville, and they yep. came back to win that game. So I mean, they've had their chances uh, this year to get beat, and they finally did get beat at Oakland in a in a very embarrassing way. Uh, a game out there that, by the way was effectively a Steeler home game. I mean, it was completely dominated by Steeler fans. The, the the Raiders fans weren't weren't there in any numbers. They're having a lousy year, and a lot of the fans are pissed that they're leaving Oakland. Uh, so anyway, they the uh, you know it was it was it was a bad game for the Steelers to lose. All right, so let's look at what we can do and control, and once again, our own destiny as we host the Browns, who have already beaten us once this year. And as soon as that loss happened, a lot of fans just wrote off this season for the Ravens because they think of the Browns as this perennial bad team. But the Browns are not that team anymore. No, the Browns are good. And, and it, it, taking the Browns lightly would be a big mistake. And the gambling public certainly believes they have a pretty good chance to win this game. Now, not 50%, but 30%, 32%, they're in that range. And, I, you know, it's a road game that's remarkable, frankly, that a team out of contention playing on the road in Week 17 could have a 32% chance to beat a 
a team that is considered the most dangerous team probably in the AFC in terms of the playoff picture. You know, nobody wants to face the Ravens, that's for sure. The Ravens match up awfully well against good quarterbacks, and that's all that's left in the playoffs. And it's I don't think there's any team out there that's saying, yeah, give me the Ravens right now in terms of the playoffs. Right. And, uh, yes, teams are – but that's because of the Ravens' defense. If you're looking at the Browns and the way they've been playing lately, they've got a hot offense that seemed to uh, sneak up on everyone this year. Yeah, they, they, they really haven't done it more. They haven't done too much of their recent winning streak with defense, some of it, but the, it's primarily they have a good combination of a very good running game, uh, an offensive line that's pretty good and is protecting Mayfield, and a uh, Mayfield has just played extremely well in these last few weeks while they've been on this, five, I think it's 5-1 and one. Uh, streak now winning five of their last six games so they're a hot team you know they come to Baltimore certainly very good they have deficiencies on defense that I think the Ravens can exploit their big strength on defense or one of their big strengths is Miles Garrett and his ability to uh, dominate any pocket passer by by penetrating and a lot of some of that will be taken away by the fact that Lamar he, he has to be respected in terms of getting outside the pocket so you can't green light your outside pass rushers on every down to just go get the quarterback. It's it's too risky and it'll it'll lead to big plays. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they how they deal with Garrett in this game. But uh, they've they did a great job this last week, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in terms of dealing with Bosa and Ingram, who are a fearsome pass rush duo from the Chargers. And so Miles My- Garrett is is there with the Browns. He's one of the elite pass rushers in the league from the outside, and certainly he's a uh, he's a guy the Ravens are going to have to deal with. All right, and yeah, and this is the Browns Super Bowl. They get to they get to knock us out, so they would love to do that. Um, but at the same, th- I'm trying to figure out going into this game: is it what is more pressure on which side of the ball? Is it Lamar Jackson in this offense, or is it on this defense to stop uh, Baker Mayfield? And they're and they're having the same type of success that we're having that with a running quarterback uh that then opens up more space for their running back yeah i i I think i think the pressure is going to be more on the defense in this game i think always kind of the ravens defense has got a lot of pressure recently because of the risk that the ravens have not yet faced in terms of falling behind and one of the things you remember about last year's cincinnati game in week 17 was the ravens fell way behind and then they made a great comeback to catch up and go ahead. It's Frank a Flacco-led comeback in the second half. They'd done nothing offensively. And they got ahead. And then, of course, they, they gave up the big play to lose the game when they were leading by three and needed a stop. In any case, I, I, the, the, this year's Ravens team hasn't had a deficit of more than eight points for Jackson. Jackson was down eight in... Well, one of the early games right. might have been might have been the Raiders and and had a uh, a touchdown drive that uh, that got the game tied. Actually, I think it was Cincinnati, and then uh, and then went on to win from there. But he hasn't faced a two score deficit as yet, and I think that there'd be a lot of pressure on the defense not to allow something like that to happen. So the offense has to has to you know get it started, you know get going, grind out first downs, and they should be able to do some of that. Cleveland, by the way, extremely poor tackling team if you read the browns boards that's all they can talk about uh you know it's a it's a constant complaint i mean they talk about mayfield and they talk about other positives as well of course because it's a browns board but they really talk about the poor tackling a lot and their linebackers in particular not very good and it's it's a it's a good opportunity if the ravens can create level two opportunities to get some of the missed tackles that edwards can create and turn those into bigger plays than they have even been so far so those you know, okay. Maybe maybe it turns a couple of those six and eight yard plays into into eighteen yard plays in this game, and and uh, they're that much more dangerous. That, that would be huge because level two has been uh, we've been successful with level two. So if you can push that even further um, with guys like yeah Andrews and Gus Edwards have both been good at just pushing through tackles. So if they can actually break some of these, that'll help out. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 Edwards in particular, I, you know, one one. Listener, I think very, very keenly noted that he, he may be leaning into contact in a way that isn't intended really to break the tackle, but it's intended only to get a couple extra yards gotcha. after contact. Kind of a fall and, forward and, type thing. Yeah, fall forward kind of thing. And, and, and it may be that Edwards really wants to, to try and run very hard in this game, run very heavy, keep the, keep the leverage in his legs and, and make sure he tries to, 
to push forward and not push forward to the ground, but push forward to try and break tackles in this game. I, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, and it's, I'm not going to pretend that I understand all the physiology of that, but it's, right. it's something that I, I hope he tries for more yards after the contact, whatever that means, because I think this Browns defense is capable of giving it to him. All right, and am I right uh, that this is the type of game where the – I mean, it's the Browns are so excited going to this game, want to knock us out, that it's going to be important for us to score early and get up on that score to kind of kill that momentum and kill that, let them go back to the, oh, all right, we're not going to do anything this season. Yeah, I think reminding them that, that this is the end of the season is a good thing always in the last game. There's a, you know, veteran players tend to pack it up at halftime and get their golf clubs ready. The last thing they want is an injury in the second half of the final game of the season. So, I think Baker Mayfield, I think the Browns, you know, Greg Williams, I think some of the other players on that team can do a great rah-rah job before the game. And maybe Mayfield can keep it up because he's going to be there next year. A whole lot of Browns players are, as Tony Saragusa would say, not on a scholarship. And they're not going to be around next year. They're not going to be playing for the Browns. They might be playing somewhere else in the NFL. An injury would actually really hurt their chances of playing next year, of of continuing their career in some cases. And, you know, it just – they have to make business decisions about a lot of what they're going to be so, doing. So get up by halftime so they come out pretty soft in that second yeah. half. Yeah, that's what I'd hope. I'd hope for some brother-in-law play. I don't, you know, if it was the if it was the fifth game of a series in 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 something that you're up three to one, you hope for a, a gentleman's sweep kind of thing or a gentleman's right. you know finish to the series. Uh, it's it's you know it's a nice uh, it's it's a nice situation to have them in now. Of course, they had that situation with Cincinnati last year. Cincinnati, a veteran team. They didn't want injuries in that last game. And they didn't give up, unfortunately. And they, they completed the 4th and 12 pass and won the game. So right. uh, can't depend on it. But uh, but I think the Ravens are going to be a lot better off, obviously, if they're up 13-7 to than down 13-7 to at the half. Sure, sure. Um, so what about Baker Mayfield? How does this defense handle Baker? Is do we put on the same type of pressure that we've been seeing people try with Lamar where you got to watch those outsides or is Baker Mayfield a different type of guy? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So they've got a lot of different ways they could play it. And it's the kind of thing you make an adjustment at halftime if it's working or not. But I think they will try some forms of pressure in this game. I don't think they'll completely allow him to sit back in the pocket as they did with Jameis Winston, give him a lot of ample time and space opportunities and make him screw up on his own with seven in coverage. They could do it, but but it'll be a reaction, I believe, if they do do it. Um, the, the advantage of doing that is you really keep Mayfield from running as easily and, and getting free of the pocket. But if they, if they don't, if they decide that they really want to put pressure on him, they're effectively pushing more chips in the pot. They're trying to get those high variance plays, trying to force him into some mistakes. And I think it's likely we will see at least some attempt to do that because the Ravens have been so successful at it in recent weeks that that I think that it makes sense. Even against Mahomes, you have to look at that and just say the the amount of pressure they put on Mahomes was truly astounding. He only had 27% ATS, which is ridiculously low. If if they could do anything like that to Mayfield, he's not going to have anything like the success Mahomes would have under the same circumstances. Mahomes just made some ungodly throws in that game. The no-look pass, you know, the, the throwback on fourth and nine was just absurd. Uh, Mayfield will not have that kind of facility to, to roam inside and outside the pocket and, and make plays. So uh, uh, I look at it. In fact, if you look at the, uh, at the young quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield does have a 98.1 QB rating outside the pocket, which is fifth best among the young quarterbacks. So it's not like he doesn't have any ability to do it. I just think the Ravens' pass rush should hold him to less than that, should be more effective at containing him in all situations or reducing his effectiveness in all situations, even outside the pocket. All right. Um, well, yeah, that's that's right there is the guy that's going to put pressure on this defense. Uh, the other thing I've been reading is that Denzel Ward might not play. He has had two concussions in the past four weeks, so there's talk that the Browns might just kind of hold him out, keep him safe because he is part of their future. Uh, he's he's a franchise player there, no doubt about it. He's the he's the second best player on their defense behind Miles Garrett, already as a rookie, and he's the uh, he's the fourth overall pick from this last year. I, I I criticized that pick originally, but he's been outstanding. There's no doubt about it. Um, I I was even more afraid that they would end up with with Derwin James at number four, but they ended up with with Denzel Ward, and he's been a hell of a player, a shorter cornerback who's been very effective uh, nonetheless, and uh, great ball skills. 
and uh, you know he'll he'll be around for years to come. The Ravens will be very very fortunate if he's not able to go in this game, and and that obviously would greatly weaken the Browns defensively and increase the need for Jackson to find more opportunities to throw the ball and take advantage of the Browns that way. All right, uh, that's all right. That's all looking ahead. Let's now go back to this past week and uh, go through your grades and some player reports from their victory in uh, L.A. And uh, let's start. Let's We always go through the offensive line, so let's do that first. Let's start with Stanley. Okay, so Ronnie had, a, had another really fine game. And, and you look at, at Ronnie's grades by game. He's only been below a B on two games the entire year. He had one C and one D. That was all the way back in week two against Cincinnati. Uh, but but he's played very well, and, and this is not a game to be trivialized in any way in terms of his performance because he had Bosa and he had Ingram, each of whom plays a little bit on either side. So he had a lot of a lot of Bosa, frankly, in this game, and he did not allow a full pass rush event the entire game. He allowed one partial pressure, and he also split a quarterback hit, uh, but he didn't allow any full ones himself. Now, he did allow one penetration in the game. That means he, he allowed somebody to come into the backfield and take a runner down for a loss. Uh, but he otherwise, he, he was excellent. His uh, raw score is .84 with adjustment. That gets him up to an A. The minimum for an A-, minus, by the way, on adjusted basis is .87 at tackle. So uh, excellent game. Uh, nothing bad to say about it. You know, the, the things that happen is when you look at a lineman's game, and there's really very little to say. That's a very good thing because basically the system counts the frequency and severity of errors, most mostly pass blocking errors and penalties and such. And he just didn't have any of that. So, uh, you know, that was a, this is a good game. All right. We talked on the last episode about the Ravens defensive strategy of keeping fresh legs out on the field. Is that what we're seeing on this offensive line with Hurst and Bozeman? I, I think that might be part of it. I think a bigger part of what we're seeing now is they're really not sure who their guy is. Hurst has had now three poor games in a row. He had an F in this game. It was a high F uh, within a couple points of being a D minus, but still uh, an F. And he missed five blocks. He had allowed one and a half penetrations, a half a quarterback hit, a third of a sack. And that was all in just 41, 41 snaps in this game. So he got hurt. Bozeman came in. And then Bozeman played another drive later on. And it, it was one of these situations where it really looks to me like they'll give Bozeman even more time. And you know, we just switched to him right away and, and, and do him next. Bozeman played 21 snaps, played 16 at left guard, and then he played five other in jumbo formations. And his 21 snaps are just a at the bare, barely past the 20 minimum to get a grade at all. He made 19 blocks, didn't have any negative events, missed two blocks, so it's an A with adjustment. And, you know, he's only allowed four pass rushing events the entire season. Two pressures, two-thirds of a quarterback hit, one-third of a sack. His aggregate raw score of .87 is a low A with adjustment. So I, I got to believe they're struggling right now with how to deal with this. Now, Every other position where they have questions about who should be the player, they've used rotation as the first step towards change. So all the cornerback spots, so they really have four cornerbacks they really trust, playing three spots, they've just kept them all going. When they've had questions about is Owasu or Kenny Young the guy, I remember early in the year a lot of people wanted Kenny Young to be the guy. Owasu's playing great now, and that rotation's really paying off. Uh, you know, We talked about this a little bit on the defense, but I want to, want to bring this up again, is that None of their weak side linebacker platoon, which is three guys, have played even 42% of the snaps. And that freshness is really helping them on defense. I think that's probably a little bit less important on offense, but Bozeman being a road grader provides a different style of player than what you have with Hurst, who's more of a finesse player. His, his value is more of, of a pulling guard. And, and Bozeman, who is thought to be a, a, st a quarter step too slow in, in, as a zone blocker, is, is a very effective power guy. And he's shown the ability to not only get pancakes, but also get to level two and make blocks there fairly effectively. So I'm, I'm confident in, in what they've got there. I think they, Bozeman is looking like a great draft pick at this point. And it wouldn't surprise me if he suddenly got over half of the playing time in this next game. And it could be as simple as, 
Hurst plays two-thirds of the first half or half of the first half, and then Bozeman all of a sudden plays all but a very short bit in the second half because they're they're really trying to wear the other team down. And then Bozeman's road grading is going to be more effective and more useful in that. It's not hard to imagine that set of circumstances when you're playing a Browns team that's playing out the string right now. All right. Uh, did Skura improve after he struggled uh, with the Bucks? Happily, yes. So a tough game against the Bucks, but he came back, only had one. Uh, pass rush event in this game. It was he was a pressure uh, that he was beaten by Mebane. Uh, that's okay, and uh, uh, it uh, it happens. And he had uh, how many missed blocks in this game? He had five missed blocks. So that's uh, some of those, and I, four of them, as I recall, were times that he was beaten at the line of scrimmage. So you don't like to see that. You'd like to see less there, but still, overall scored fairly well. Point eighty six, a B with adjustment at center. Uh, so glad to see Matt back on the line. That's five out of six games now with a B or better with the one F mixed in there the week after he visited us on the show. Right, of course. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't think anybody's going to be I don't think anybody's going to be blaming me of favoritism. <laughs> and, and I, I right. wish it were not the case, but I don't think anybody's going to be blaming me of favoritism after that uh, after that scoring. Right. Um, all right. Yanda, is there anything else to say? Yanda, except he continues to get A's. Uh, just week after week, it's the same thing. Only one half of a penetration charge this week, no pass blocking charges, three missed blocks, uh, nothing too serious. One of those was at the line of scrimmage. The other two were in level two. Uh, he connected on his only pull. He hadn't been doing that very often, five blocks in level two. But, you know, it's just it's week after week. It's hard to tell the games apart, and that's freaking great with a player like Yanda who's so consistent, makes his blocks play after play after play. You know, I, I keep coming back to the fact that I think the Ravens really need to figure out how to extend Yonda. Um, it's not just a matter of, of uh, you know, he's got one more year under contract. They really need to try and figure out how he can, he can play four more years maybe, ensure his Hall of Fame status from his point of view because I don't see what else much really he has to play for. Um, he's a player that I think holds the line together in a way that, he's really worth more than his own individual contribution at right guard. So I, I just, I really would like to see them, even at his age, think about how to how to extend him for, maybe it's not three more years, maybe it's two more years, so he'd be signed through 2021 at least. Um, and, and that should get him to the point where he, he has made a number of additional pro balls, probably at least one additional all-pro nod that might come this year, and, uh, and then is given the uh, consideration for the Hall of Fame he deserves. All right. Um, how about Orlando Brown? We continue to keep eyes on him. Yeah. So he's he's certainly on on a good run of not tossing in a bad game, and and that's that's been what's really impressive about Orlando. He just hasn't fallen off the table and had a had any bad outing. Even Ronnie Stanley had one of those in week two, but Brown now uh, has started a number of games. I don't have the number right in front of me, but but he got a C plus in this one. No games under a C yet for him. So uh, he had some problems pass blocking this game. He, he allowed two half penetrations in this game. Those are on runs, two pressures, a third of a sack. Uh, 0.72 per play, which is not super exciting, but after adjustment and the fact, considering the fact that he played uh, a high-end pass rushers in this game, even if they were a little bit paralyzed by Lamar Jackson, uh, that's still a C-plus after adjustment and uh, you know certainly can't argue with that kind of result. Yeah course uh let's look at a few other guys who are not on the line and i want to i want to go through some of these receivers because they've been struggling and i got to start with crabtree who in the entire season has struggled to catch the ball but it's not getting any better no it's it's not and uh during the last i I have numbers on on all of the ravens receivers it might be illustrative just to go through this entire list here but during these are all during the last six games that lamar's been starting crabtree has been targeted 22 times with 11 receptions 115 yards in six games. That's 19.2 yards per game. Project that out over a full season. It's under 320 yards. That's not what Michael Crabtree came here for. And that's certainly not what the Ravens brought him here for. He's had one touchdown during that time, too. So that projects to less than three for a season. Um, I don't see him being around next year. I just don't see any reason. I'm not sure that he'd want to be here for another year under this current system. Maybe he would because the salary's not bad. Maybe he won't get paid anywhere else. But uh, but honestly, I don't see a reason. Um, I don't see a reason why the Ravens would keep him for next year, given no. that. Let's go through the other receipt wide okay. receivers while we're here on this. Sneed Willie Sneed has been targeted 24 times 
with 16 receptions. He's been the most successful receiver of the Lamar area, successful wide receiver anyways. Got 178 yards. That's 29.7 per game. So 30 yards per game is 480 yards for a season. Willie Sneed is not looking for that either. So, you know, it's it, we're obviously there's a lot less targets to go around. There's a lot less yards to go around. But, you know, no receiver is going to be happy with 480 yards for a season and, and, and how that might impact the value for the rest of his career uh, if, if that's uh, the case. Now, I'm sure Willie Sneed will be back. He's under contract. I think the Ravens like him. And it's most important that he have the connection with Lamar because he's the one who's certain to be around next year. One of the other interesting ones that you wonder, is he going to be around by his own choice, would be Brown. I mean, Brown's now had 27 targets with seven receptions during the six Lamar games. It's, it's barely a 25% catch rate, 107 yards, 17.8 yards per game. Uh, Brown had more than 17.8 yards per catch with Joe Flacco. Now he's at 17.8 yards per game. So uh, I don't, you know, if you're if you're John Brown and you have a chance to sign somewhere else, even if the Ravens offer you a competitive market price, which I don't believe they will, why would you sign it? Why wouldn't you try and go somewhere else and, and, and find another quarterback who's going to get you the ball more right. and, you know, give you a chance to extend your career and, and, and prove the value of your speed and whatnot? I mean, I just... I'm not. Uh, I'm not seeing him still around in uh, in the next year. The last last wide receiver on the group is Moore, uh, who's been targeted seven times with five receptions. Now, all I can say about about Moore is that he he makes every play he gets the opportunity to make. Eight times this season, he's had one target with one catch, and uh, that just seems to be a standard. If you look game by game through the season, that's he's got you know a, a whole lot of exactly that. Uh, it's not even always from Jackson. Of course, one of his catches recently was from Cook, and that's involved in his 49 yards as a 21-yard completion from Cook during that period. So um, it, it, he's probably not happy either. He'll be a, a restricted free agent next year. A lot of things that that uh, you know he does are positive on the field, but if you're Chris Moore, I think you want to establish yourself as a receiver in this league, and he's not getting that opportunity here right now. Maybe next year. You know, there'll be some clear out of the free agent receivers. It could be him and Sneed are returning along with draft picks, and there'll be a more likely chance that Moore will be a more focal point of the, a bigger focal point of the offense. All right. Um, and with, uh, I guess, Mark Andrews is the combination that we will be keeping an eye on, for not only this year, but in the future. Or do you see more of that with uh, Hayden Hurst moving into that slot? Yeah, but all of those tight ends are the ones who are getting the um, the targets. And there's this, this a shocker in here, or at least one I didn't really expect to see. So let's go through them real quickly, too. Yeah. Andrews, 9 of 13, 9 receptions on 13 targets. His targets have come down significantly. He had a lot more targets with Flacco. But he has got 254 yards on those 9 catches, which is a great yards per catch ratio of, you know, north of 25. But his yards per game are at 42.3. Not terrible, probably really good for a rookie tight end, but that's the best on the entire Ravens team, and it's the best by almost 13 yards, better than Snead. So it's it's uh, he is really getting the opportunities, and obviously the big catch uh, in this last game helped his uh, total a lot. The other tight ends are the other ones who are getting a lot of the targets. Boyle, 10 targets, 9 catches for 77 during the six games. That was the one that was surprising to me, that he'd, he'd gotten as much activity as yeah. he had. Um, but it's only 12.8 yards per game. Hurst has got, had uh, seven catches on nine targets for 63 yards. So at least the tight ends are making their catches. Williams only three targets for two yards. Uh, sorry, two catches on three targets for 16 yards. So uh, you know I don't think he'll be a Raven next year. But uh, the tight ends still figure prominently into the offense. They get a lot of snaps because the Ravens play a lot of two and three tight end packages. And it's nice to at least see that that Lamar is connecting with them each. To, to to get some receptions out of them as they uh, play along. Now, remember, Lamar's only thrown for 155.8 yards per game. If there's any spread at all of that, no one is going to be happy. All right? <laughs> and right. there has basically been a pretty decent spread of it. Only Andrews has gotten any kind of concentration and, and maybe Snead, if you want to think about it, that. Everybody else is under 20 yards per game in terms of receiving. So, uh, uh, anyway, it's an interesting situation. It's one I don't think can continue. I think Lamar is going to have to come up to about a, you know, 225 to 250 yard per game guy next year. 
for a lot of reasons. One is to reduce his individual carries, but to have less reliance on the run to deal with, with what they need to deal with in terms of coming back in games, which they really haven't had to do this year. And, you know, just to normalize that offense and keep him healthy personally. So uh, I, things will have to change for next year with Lamar. It's, it may be that the Ravens have to take a step back before they can step forward in terms of Lamar's growth here. He's shown remarkable growth this year, so I won't say that definitely has to happen, but but it would be, I think next year is going to be another set of challenges in terms of, of having to get over uh, you know some of the other things that come along, like being behind in a game and and uh, having to throw the ball more. Right. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Let's get to your MVPs for the game. All right, you're gonna play along with yeah, me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. All right. So my number three guy, I'm giving it to Mark Andrews for the big play and an enormous stiff arm. Uh, basically, one great play all in itself, and and he got he also did get free for another first down throw early in the game, so he gets my number three. All right, and that play was not all by himself. That play started with Lamar Jackson, so I'm giving Lamar Jackson my number three uh, because he handled himself well against uh, a much better defense than he's been used to. Can't argue with that. I'd really struggled whether or not he should be included this week. I decided to leave him out. Number two for me is Edwards. Uh, another big game. Uh, did have his first loss on any run play in this game, which was surprising. Like a couple of streaks ended, including Tucker's kicking streak and Edwards' no losses streak. But Edwards still had a fine game. That big play, the first offensive play from scrimmage immediately after the interception, really set the tone defensively and offensively in a very short sequence as to who was going to control that game. And even though they ultimately only got three points out of that play, it was a huge play. And he also sealed the game with a nice 26-yard run, sealed the game. They were up by 12. They thought they would have to try and get one more first down. He ran for 26, right. and uh, it was nice to see that. Uh, my number two is Justin Tucker. Yes, he broke his streak and missed the field goal. It looks like he slipped a little bit on that, uh, but he still comes through whenever the Ravens call on him. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. And, and to see him try the 65-yard field goal, I was excited to, to, to see that attempted. That would have been uh, an NFL record, and he was still pretty close. He was still pretty close. And in the stadium, the flags on the goalpost were fairly uh, limp. But there was definitely flags where you can see at the end of the stadium that was blowing slightly against Tucker. So that that's something that... So you're uh, trying to say flip him around and he might have had it. Oh, I think definitely put him in Denver and the the kick was online. It would have gone through. Let me put it that way. Okay, gotcha. He, he's in Denver. I think I think that's that kick is good. Dangerous play. Derwin James on the back end running that ball back. I didn't like it all, but uh, but it was it's always fun to see him get a chance. Right. All right, you're number one. My number one. So I'm I'm cheating again, giving it to two guys. But Stanley and Yonda, the offensive line did a great job dealing with the, a talented Chargers defensive line. They have Mebane as a good interior player, and they have uh, Bosa and Ingram, who are both talented rushers. And, and Stanley and Yanda were the best two of the Ravens linemen, so they share the MVP for me in this game. All right, and I am giving it to the Ravens defense because when the defense po puts up points, this team is really hard to stop. That's a, that's a good one. I can't argue with that. They've been putting up some points recently, which is nice. All right, uh, let's get to uh, just a few mailbag questions. You can get in your questions using the hashtag FilmStudyMailbag on Twitter. And first one up comes from Minion Hunter, and he wants to know, do you think Weddle's had something on Rivers and the Chargers? Well, you know, he practiced against against Rivers for years. And watched film and, for years together. And, 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 and certainly they watched film together for years. But I think a lot of the practicing and watching the tendency of the quarterbacks is is something you definitely pick up on. And, and you can you can see the way he scans the field. Now, interesting story about Weddle. If you go to camp and you watch Weddle, he doesn't stand on the sideline where everybody else stands to watch practice. He watches from the end. He watches from, like, from the end zone. Right. And he's trying to pick up, I assume, He's trying to pick up on what the quarterback is doing, perhaps what tells our quarterbacks have, uh, maybe how the other corners are playing around on the field so you can get a better sense of how space is developing and, and whatnot. But I find that very interesting. It's just it, I, I've never seen anybody else do it, uh, but he's, he's very particular about it, and he stands off by himself watching practice from, from you know basically behind the defense. And there is, on some of the plays, there's a big uh, melee or a big uh, set of players 
when they're playing seven on seven that stand behind the play. So that's not unusual. But when they play on an 11 on 11, they typically go to their opposite sidelines and they go ahead and they do that. And, and that's when Weddle stands at the, at, in the back. And it's just, I, I see it. And you see, he's, he's really working at his craft. He may be thinking about getting into coaching at some point. He certainly should be because I think he'd be very good at it. But he, he certainly is trying to pick up on certain things. It wouldn't surprise me if that went on when he was at San Diego and he was looking at, at what Rivers did then. Uh, and if that was the case, then, uh, yeah, sure, he could very well have had something on Rivers, been able to pick up on his uh, tendencies. Now, Weddle didn't have an interception in this game, but he, he uh, uh, you know, the defense certainly overall played very well, and, and he deserves a, a share of that credit for holding Rivers to a, to a terrible game, even if all of that came in the film room ahead of the game in terms of explaining to the other defenders how to best figure out the Chargers passing attack. Right, and Rivers and, and uh, Weddle are long-time friends, long-time played football together, so no matter what, there's some type of tendency. The two of them could be on the basketball court together, and there's still the tendency to know each other and, and each other's emotions and stuff that he can always play on. It's always That's why it's always fun to see uh, former like college teammates go head-to-head against each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much, I mean, any. I think anybody can relate to this, even from their office life. I mean, just every every person has some personal characteristic that you pick up on. You know, they fold their arms when they're upset, uh, or, the, or they're being defensive about something, or they... Or they, or they well, Rivers yeah, they, waves his arms when he's upset, but I get what you're yes, saying. You get what I'm saying. It's, it's, you, you pick up on these personal tendencies in everyday life. It's not just football players, yes. so it's, you know... All right, uh, let's go to Sir D, who says, can the simple argument be made that Wink is utilizing players better than Pease did, especially during Pease's last two seasons here? Well, I love the question, and I think, yes, absolutely. But I'd even go further. I mean, it's not just a matter of, I think they have the right players on the field at the right time, but snap management has been such a huge portion of the Ravens' plan this year, both offensively and defensively. So obviously they're, they're, they're playing this grinded out, game which on offense which is very successful at getting first downs had a high first down conversion rate every game up until the chargers here and they're getting fewer defensive snaps because of that but even when they have fewer defensive snaps they're still splitting them very aggressively across a number of players at three cornerback positions they're they're splitting for four players on the defensive line they're still using a very even split of snaps. Wormley played a few less in this game, but that's okay. It's been it's been very even. Nobody's playing a lot of snaps. The, the weak side linebacker position, I made the point, nobody's played over 42% of the snaps there, and they're all coming in super fresh to make plays when they're in the game, and that's why they have this astounding platoon line for that three-man position. So uh, did we mention that already on the show in terms of what that line is or maybe last time? No, I, I'm not sure. Why don't you just repeat anyway? That's that's okay. So I, I have these numbers ready to go. I did I did have them on air today. But um, the the three man platoon at weak side linebacker consists of Owasu, Kenny Young, and Levine. And all three of those guys basically, there's never a time when more than one of them is on the field. It's always pretty much exactly one. Uh, there are a few little packages where they where they would not necessarily have one. And there's a little bit of time early in the year when Owasu played Mike linebacker because Mosley was out. And then they accumulated a few additional snaps. But those three together have 104% of the Ravens' team snaps individually. So basically, it's a it's one platoon player. You want to scale it down by 4%, that's fine. But these, these stats are still amazing. Between the three of them, they have 105 tackles, 12 tackles for loss. They have sacked the quarterback nine times. That's a stand-up linebacker position. They have had 21 quarterback hits. 10 passes defensed, two interceptions, and three forced fumbles. Now, those stats are effectively the scoreboard statistics. I didn't include fumble recoveries because they didn't have any. But those ones are, are effectively the scoreboard statistics for defensive players. Those are the ones the NFL keeps track of. Now, I'm not going to claim that these guys, all put together even, are the best weak side linebacker in the entire NFL. I think somebody could make that point, but I'm not going to do it. Um, what I would say is that you won't get that kind of playmaking productivity out of any other individual in the entire NFL. Look at Luke Kuechly's stats. They aren't any better. Look at look at uh, the Jets guy, Darius Leonard. His are certainly aren't about any better. Uh, you know, you have a, a an absolutely fantastic platoon in a, in a town 
where Orioles fans can appreciate exactly what Lowenstein and Renicky means without even us talking about it. Uh, you know, this is a this is a marvelous way to do it, and they're they're keeping some players who are not necessarily the greatest individual stars, and they're turning them into something better than they otherwise would, but by platooning them and having them on the field in the most situations that are most effective for them. So I think I think this is going to change the way a lot of teams play football. They're going to start rotating at positions where they have not normally rotated to date. Some teams don't have the depth to do it, but the ones that do and have a little bit of depth are going to be aggressively using it and following what I think I'll call the Martindale method for uh, for more rotation at a more broad set of positions than just the defensive line. Right. Once once we get through this season, that's where you will see the other coaches take a look and say, let's look closer at the Ravens and figure out what they're doing to, to be so good this year. Yeah, great point. Copycat lead. Yep. Uh, Shaq gets in. Where do you rank this draft class compared to previous draft classes? And who do you think would be the Ravens Rookie of the Year? Okay, well, the Ravens Rookie of the Year is is probably going to be Lamar Jackson. I, if they, if I don't they end see up. how you can't give it to him, even though I, yeah. I could make an argument for Mark Andrews. Or Orlando Brown. Or Orlando Brown, but you're going to give it to the quarterback. The, yeah, game, you're, the you're, game shifted with him. You're right. Every everything shifted, and and Jackson is obviously more than his statistics in terms of of loosening up the game for yes. everybody else who's running the ball. So it's made everybody's job a lot easier. So I think you have to give it to him. If you're talking about who maybe is the second most valuable, then I think it's a really interesting question between Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews. Orlando Brown started half a season. Andrews has been there the whole time. He's been producing the whole time. Orlando Brown's been been very good when he's been in there. Uh, you know, they have other good players. Obviously, the, the Kenny Young has contributed to that three-man platoon. We've got Bozeman, who's played extremely well and effectively three full games now and, and rates an aggregate A now. So, you know, you have a lot. You have a, a draft class that's that's really exceptional, um, uh, you know, top to bottom here. They didn't get anything out of the two receivers uh, they picked. Julio Scott and Jordan Lasley have, have combined for zero catches this year. Lasley's been a healthy scratch the entire season. Um, they didn't get anything out of the developmental left tackle they drafted. Uh, Sanat, who's been on IR the entire year. Zach Sealer's been active for only two games. Looked great in, in, um, in camp, but the Ravens have not been taxed in terms of the defensive line. They had an injury to Henry. They've been able to overcome that. And they've been playing with four defensive linemen active for now the last five or six weeks now with Ricard uh, sitting out, and and he'd be, I think, the next guy to be activated if they didn't decide they needed a fifth. So uh, Sealer hasn't really gotten a chance this year. So very exciting, top to bottom. Hayden Hurst, another guy who's who's made a, a a contribution in the time he's played. Not what the Ravens would hope out of a number one pick, but you know certainly there's there's hope that he'll be a player still in the future. Great. Um, all right, getting your questions again using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. You should know that by now. We're we're looking back on week 16. There's been lots of episodes, and I've said that many times. Uh, a couple more things. I want to talk about some suggestions for the Ravens, Ken, before we get out of here. There's a push on Twitter right now that the Ravens should honor Joe Flacco a little bit this weekend by allowing him to be announced out of the tunnel, kind of in, along with the Pro Bowl uh, in, uh, winners. That would be a very nice thing to do. So maybe maybe – you have you have the Pro Bowlers and then you finish with Joe Flacco kind of thing. That would be great, right? It, be... it would be a clear indication of uh, Joe's time is done here. But is it also a, a situation of kind of just saying, okay, well, this is our last home game, and looking I, past I, the fact that we're going to be home hopefully in a couple more weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I I know that that's coming up, and I know that not everybody gets to say goodbye like Johnny Unitas did in terms of a touchdown in his last effort and whatnot. But I still would love to see Joe not only be introduced, but probably also get into the game for a series, uh, provided, you know, the, the, the Ravens have the game in hand. They, they, they don't want to break from the, from, from the pattern. I mean, they might need Joe if they're behind, who knows, yes. but, 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 it, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to break from what's working right now at this point. Uh, unless there's a good reason, and it would be a good reason if they're up a couple scores, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, and would like to to get Joe a drive. Uh, you know, I don't think that would be a that would be a bad thing at all. I think the fans would really appreciate it. I, I I'm torn on this idea. I love the idea as someone who appreciates what Joe has done for this team, but uh, they're also introducing the offense on Sunday, and I know there's a lot of Joe haters out there 
So I'd hate for them to introduce Joe Flacco and then follow that with Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson get the bigger cheer than Joe Flacco. Well, you you, you do that by putting him first and last. Okay, so you, you, you separate them out. You, you bring Joe out of that tunnel first, and then everybody goes crazy for that. And then Jackson comes last. And of course, he's going to get a big cheer because right. he, he's done well. So he, he, you don't have to have him back-to-back is the, is the key there. All right. Maybe I, I don't need, I'm sure they've thought about that, by the way, exactly what the order is. They yes. introduce them in if they do that. So it, they're, they're, uh, they're savvy in that way. Right. The order is not random. There's a reason we had Ray Lewis for years as the last guy out of the tunnel. So that's, that's another interesting possibility. I mean, Ray Lewis came in in victory formation in his last home game for the Ravens. I mean, would that's you, true. I would love would to you see try that with, with Joe. I mean, <laughs> All right. Joe is not Ray Lewis. No. And he will never as much as he is, he will never have a statue outside of the stadium. He will not be appreciated in this town as much as Ray Lewis ha- is. No. Uh, the, the, what you would do is bring him in in victory formation to take the snap and kneel. It would, have, it would yes. be as that. Yes. So you wouldn't have him as the back man, you know, declaring himself an eligible receiver, well, which he doesn't have to because, I take anyway. that. I take that a step further as if we get a good lead, let Joe finish out the game, keep Lamar healthy. There you go. I mean, that's a that's a reasonable thing. Letting not letting Lamar take hits is certainly a, exactly. a good plan. Now, unfortunately, I don't foresee that kind of a game. I'm afraid this is going to be a very hard fought, tooth and nail game against a very determined opponent for at least most of this game. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Right. Uh, speaking of Ray Lewis, did you see that Terrell Suggs will pass Ray Lewis for all time games played as a Raven this Sunday with 228? Yes, I remember hearing that last week is that he he was tying Ray. And I guess Ray still has a few more, including playoffs, but Suggs can get close to that this year. Ray would be six games ahead of Suggs from the 2000 and 2001 playoffs. So if he moves one up, he's still going to be five back. Uh, but, but anyway, right. very impressive accomplishment for Suggs to, to, to have that many games played. Right, and then I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of players in the past couple of days tweeting out, asking fans to come, show their support, fill up the stadium. And I, at the same time, the Ravens sent out their uh, order forms for playoff tickets. Mm-hmm. And that playoff situation gets fans excited. That will fill up the stadium. I'd like to see the Ravens do something in the next couple of days leading into this game to try to give and try to create that postseason playoff atmosphere for this Sunday. Okay, so so what do you have in mind for that, Josh? Did you, so, you have some I do. Specific- I have a I have a really simple idea. One, you gotta you gotta hype up just like the players are from the Ravens official accounts, and people love giveaways. So you give away the towels and you put that good statement on that everyone has gotten behind. This season That's is all about one. good. So yeah. you give away good towels and you get people in there. So that even if the crowd is a little smaller, they've got something to wave, something to make the crowd appear larger than they are. Right. I don't. I don't like the towel mechanism because I think it's derived. It is. But I understand yes. that it's it's one of the easy things to give away, and there is a chance of rain this Sunday, so people appreciate having a towel to wipe their seat with. Right. So. It's, the problem is, well, what it is is it's a cheap distraction to give away, and you want to do okay. something that makes your crowd appear bigger and louder to the opponent. And towels is a cheap way to do that. I know okay. uh, there's a lot of hatred of, well, that comes from Pittsburgh. Uh, but so Seven Nation Army comes from a million different teams, and we sure. still do that in Baltimore. Yeah. What about – one thing I, I know because I, I was annoyed by it at a at the Chargers game was somebody pulling out a, a – you know, the, the pull side-to-side items where it, where it turns into a banner. Right. And, you, and it rolls back together. Right. They could have a. They could put good on that. They could. So that would be they kind of could. cool. Uh, um, I feel like that would really annoy me and kind of make yes. me feel the same way I feel about umbrellas at baseball games. I don't yes, think they should be allowed. Very, very good point. So the Ravens probably are cognizant of that as well. I, I feel the same way about towels, frankly, in terms of them being waved in my face. Uh, but uh, but it is what it is. It's a. This is. If you can't get into football in live in person for this game then you really are through with it you're you're going to be a couch guy for the rest of your life it's 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 not a there's some money involved i'm not i'm not saying it's cheap and and you know there's other things that you want to spend your money on i get that but just ask yourself would you really prefer to be at the game or or watching in front of the tv don't give yourself excuses just ask yourself which would you rather do if you had the money 
And that's and where I am a hypocrite because I don't I don't have any interest in going to the game. Not at all. Just want to watch on TV. Uh, yeah, I love TV, and the last live game I went to was the Super Bowl, and I like to keep that as my top pinnacle. It'll still be your top pinnacle. It'll always be my pinnacle, but I like to tell people that was the last time I attended a Ravens game. You like uh, to retire at the high point. Right. I, okay. I, I retired with Ray Lewis from going to games, and I just I love the TV experience. Okay. I mean, certainly it's gotten better and better. I wish they had something to make the, the – um, field experience or the at the, the game experience better and yes, you know one, one thing they could do that would be kind of neat it'd be distracting as hell but it would be kind of neat is to give all of the camera angles from the truck up on the board so you can't get that at home but they could get put it at the stadium and i'm talking about corner scoreboard you know yeah. where they would normally put scores i'm Something not talking that's about not going to distract players yeah, not going to continually distract players, but it would allow for a fan to like kind of look up and see the view he wants exactly, and and say, yeah, let's watch that for a second. Um, anyway, it, they could do they could do other things with that in terms of putting video in the seat, which they could do, or right. give people the ability to link to it by phone and whatnot to get the exact camera angle they want, but only at the stadium. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I go through this discussion sometimes as what would get me hyped up to go to a game, and. Playoff games, I get hyped up for that. I love. There's nothing like that to be in person, and that's where this Browns game is slightly intriguing because it should have that atmosphere because it has that type of impact. Oh, it's a, it's a playoff game, right? Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, part of it is the cheap seats and the type of people that sit in the cheap seats. I don't want to be around, and really? that's okay. that's that's uh, that's a tough situation. Okay. Well, you, I, you I do understand that. that. I mean, it's, I can tell you the people in in the expensive seats also curse like hell, and it's one of the things I really appreciate about going to the games is being able to scream with other people instead of just screaming at the yes. TV set and annoying Maureen or any guests we might have over. So I totally agree uh, with that. Yeah. Yep. All right, Ken. Uh, well, what's over up on Russell Street Report? Usual stuff. I don't have a tiebreaker article this week because it's all been been boiled down to just a couple of easy little things that we talked about already on this show. So this defensive article, there's an offensive line scoring article with much more detail. Please go there and visit that. If you, particularly if you want to look at some of the offensive line play with me, I've got quarter and time references on a lot of these plays. Uh, if you have any suggestions for what you'd like to see or explanations you'd like to see in particular during the off season, that's an area where I want to focus and put some effort in to try and post up some charts and some, some, explanations of how things work like ample time and space is something I get questions about and I was thinking about putting out a, a Venn diagram for ample time and space that explains it better but I'd love to hear your suggestions there follow me on Twitter at film study uh, sorry at Ra film study Ravens and Josh tell us about your so I've got I've got a suggestion for film study okay I think that let's uh, get past the Browns and then let's look into bringing back Know Your Foe for the rest of the season. Sounds great. So, because we need to uh, get excited for those games after. And the Ravens, if you want to fill up the stadium, win on Sunday, and that'll happen the rest of the season. There you go. So, uh, my stuff is, uh, check out Section 336. It's over up on BirdlandSports.com, as well as iTunes and all that stuff. Uh, constant new, new stuff going up, so check all of that out. So, All right. Can, anything, uh, yeah. anything new from other producers this year? Uh, yeah, Birdland BS has a new show up that came out like Christmas Day, I believe. Mm -hmm. So that's still fresh. Uh, so check that out. Section three thirty six film study Birdland BS all have new content from this week up on BirdlandSports.com. All right. All right, Kent. Well, we will speak uh, next week, regardless of what the Ravens do. Hopefully, we're talking about future games. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Right, have a good night.
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.